0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today's a special show. I'm really excited. we got James McCurdy here founder of McCurdy Trained, one of, if not the most popular run coaching services in the country, a run running coach, run coaching service, there we go, that I actually work for. I coach a few dozen athletes. I absolutely love it. And James is a great guy. And I couldn't wait to get him on the show to talk about the Boston Marathon. We take a full deep dive into Boston. We talk about everything that if you are running the race that you need to know everything. We nothing no stone gets unturned. Um what a weird phrase it is. Who's just walking around turning stones. Anyway, we touch on everything in this episode and I think um, by the end of it if you haven't heard James, he's been on this podcast numerous times. He's a brilliant guy. He loves to share his knowledge and if you are looking for a coach, head over to mccurdytrained.com today. McCurdy is m c k i r d y trained.com. There's a few dozen coaches over there. They're all great, and they all want to work with incredible athletes just like you. So let's get into it with James McCurdy. All right, we are back with James McCurdy. This is going to be so much fun. James, you and I are going to talk all things Boston. We're going to be about two and a half weeks out from when Boston runs. Uh, when we release this thing, it's going to be really exciting. We're recording this on March 30th. We'll release it in two days. It's not an April Fool's joke. We're ready to bring the heat when it comes to Boston <laughs> for everybody who's going to be running this race. Most most podcasts that I do here are evergreen. This is technically evergreen, but we're really gearing it towards the people who are going to be running Boston in a mere two and a half weeks from now. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um You know, this is this is my sixth year for Boston, sixth or seventh year for Boston now. So it's it's a lot of fun um, uh, to kind of be going back again. And and it's it's great to be going back uh, in April. Obviously, we just had it in October, but now we get to go back on Patriots Day and it's going to be it's going to be really exciting. It's gonna be a lot
0: of fun. What was it like when you went uh, in, in the fall? Right. Oh, so obviously, obviously people were really excited. We have been had Boston a while, but it also was very different. Just overall, what was the vibe? It was, you know, we hosted a shakeout the, the day before
1: and uh, it was great. We had about 75, 80 people show up, um, which was a little bit light in comparison to what, what we typically have there. But with, with COVID and everything, it was like, I I. I it could have been twenty. It could have been hundred and fifty. I, I didn't know. I was just thankful to be able to see people. Um, you know, it, the it was interesting that you no one was really allowed in the expo in in the fall except for runners. Uh, I am not a big expo fan, so I stay away from those anyway. Um, but I've been to the expo before in Boston, and I've been shoulder to shoulder in that in that facility and. Uh, there's always excitement in there. So I, I don't know what it was like in the expo this this past October because I wasn't running. So there was no reason for me to even go there or even be anywhere near it. So I, I imagine that was probably a little different. But the race itself, um, you know, I, I forgot that, you know, so I had one of my athletes, she ran and uh, she ended up doing very well. She ran a, a Lifetime PR 248 Megan Lavin's. Um, but i forgot that it was a rolling start so you just you got off the bus and then you just take off and she ran a race this past uh this past march uh earlier this month and she's like yeah this is like my first real race in in forever i'm like yeah but you ran boss she's like yeah but there wasn't a gun you just got off the bus and you went and i forgot about that you know there was a gun for wave one but but you know depending on when you got there you just took your time. This time around, it's going to be traditional. It's going to be what they want it to be. Uh, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun for everybody.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that the spring Boston Marathon brings to the table that maybe the fall didn't, we talked about this a little bit on the podcast in the fall. We talked to Alexis McCoy, kind of did a, uh, a mini series, if you didn't follow that, where she ran you know, a variety of different races in the fall, and we followed her journey along the way. She, she, she um, came on the show and talked about her boston who someone who's run it before who lives up in maine so she's experienced New england weather uh in in all seasons as have you someone who's lived in connecticut for the majority of your life and we were talking like we had very polar opposite views so i was like my feeling about the fall is it's going to be fairly relatively predictable what the weather is going to be for the fall boston but that's in the past we all know that spring Boston is the epitome of unpredictable. We, you never know. You put out a tweet. I think it was two days ago. Like when, when's it too early to start looking at the weather for Boston? And it's right? like, that's like, that's the, that's the thing that's hanging over everybody coaches and athletes. You know, we're, we're all thinking about it. Cause how can you not at this point? Well, let's, let's go back. Obviously we all remember
1: what happened, whether you were part of the race or witnessed in the race or watching it on TV. We all remember what happened in 2018. Um, And then when 2019 came around, just three or four days before the weather forecast turned and they're like, it's going to be just like 2018 again, everybody duck and hide. And, And then, you know, the morning of they had a big thunderstorm and they cleared everybody out. They put them, they, 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 they brought them indoors to the best of their
0: ability. And then the weather just went crazy. Mud everywhere in the athlete village.
1: Yeah, it was nuts. Um, and and in inside of 2019, it was you had warm, humid air. You had cold wind. You had dry air. You had sun. You had cloud. You had lightning. You just didn't know what you were supposed to do. Now on the on the professional end, they had it a little bit easier because they're only running for a finite period of time. And as the day went on, the weather got even weirder. So they were already done before the really really bad weather came. But if you're running three and a half, four hours, four and a half hours, that weather was just nonstop. And so many people in 2019 uh had mentioned uh how how bad their legs felt at like mile eight, at mile nine. Like it, like it was something that just came out of nowhere. It they they were really well trained and prepared for races, but they just didn't feel right. Like they just didn't have any pop. And I heard that from athletes, I heard that from friends. Uh, people that I don't coach, um, and it was it was just an odd day. In 2019, we all knew that it was going to be headwind and it wasn't going to be that bad. But man, or uh, 2021 in October. But you're right, like we just don't know. We, if someone say, oh, what do you think? I said, listen, it could be 32 degrees and snowing, or it could be 95 and anywhere in between. We just don't know.
0: Right. And that day was spectacular because it really, and you, you, you kind of hinted at this, it really depended on when your race started was the weather that you got. It was like all of a sudden the Boston Marathon had morphed into like a PGA Tour event where it's like depending on when you tee off, your weather might be very different than when someone else tees off. And obviously there's not a lot of golf talk on the Rambling Runner podcast. But in this case, it was was pretty much the same. Like I had a gentleman, Ariel, who ran that race. Thankfully, he lived in Houston because he, I think he might have been in Wave 3. So it got relatively speaking, it was hot and humid for when he was running the critical miles of that race. He was ready for it because he was he flew up from Houston. But for a lot of people, they just melted in Newton on that day because all of a sudden it was like 20 degrees warmer than it was when the race started. And they just like weren't prepared for it, whether it was like from because they were training and you know, colder temperatures. Maybe they didn't have the right race gear. Maybe when they looked at the weather before they even flew in in the first place, they're like, I don't need any, like, I don't need a singlet. Are you crazy? Like, I need three layers, you know? And all of a sudden, it was a wildly different experience depending on not merely where you were coming from, but when your race started in the first place. And you don't know how your body is going to physically
1: react uh, to a temperature change like that. You don't know if it's going to, um, uh, if, if a temperature swing is in the middle of a race, you don't know, uh, and there's no predicting it, you know, uh, in, in 2018, some of the best runners in the world dropped out because their bodies had physical reactions that were well beyond their control, whether they were covered in a jacket or not. Uh, in 2019, uh, you saw, I mean, gosh, Sarah Hall ran, I mean, she, she's been in the prime of her life, but in 2019, she only ran only actually, I say only, but she only ran a 2:36. Right. That's like a training run for her yeah, exactly. and and you know, uh, the, I, I don't think we're gonna see that again out of her, but like life happens sometimes. You just don't know how your body's gonna respond to to uh, adverse conditions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll we'll dive into the starting times in a little bit. We want to go a little bit chronologically. We're really going to dive into the Boston Marathon experience for people who are running that week. So one of the main things, especially for people who've never run before, well, frankly, it's for everybody this time because the Boston Marathon experience just hasn't been there the past couple of years for people, even for people who have been a part of it, whether it's the virtual or they ran in the fall. It's just different when it's going to be on Patriots Day. It just is. So that's going to be that experience this year. So When you're talking to athletes who are coming in a few days ahead and they are really excited about Boston, not only for the race itself, but just the entire Boston Marathon experience. Maybe they've been waiting a long time for this or it's the highlight of their year. And I should preface this question, this very long-running question, to say, we're in this podcast, we're talking about people who are trying to run their best. There's plenty of people who are going to run this race. It's kind of like the cherry on top of an experience that they've already had. Kudos to you. You earned it. Do your thing. In this podcast, we're really going to talk about people who are trying to maximize their performance on race day. So that's the the preface here. For people who are coming in, there's a lot of stuff to do in Boston. There's a lot of things going on. Every coaching service in the world will have shakeouts. Every company will have pop-ups. A lot of podcasters, Ali Feller among them will have live shows going on. All of these are really exciting. How do people kind of mitigate their energy expenditure in the days leading into the race while still not necessarily sequestering themselves like they've done for the past two years because they want to have the Boston experience in the first place?
1: Yeah, it's a really, really good question. And it's a really good point of view you bring up because there, are, there it, it's more than just two different people it's more than just i'm gonna race for my best or I'm just going to run for completion uh because of the world that we are coming out of hopefully uh continue to come out of um you know for many athletes I mean some people in this race haven't run uh, a marathon since the fall of 2019 uh because that's the earliest window of qualify uh, qualification that's two and a half years ago for for some people and, and they might be completely different uh, uh, individuals and different athletes at that point. So, uh, or for when they line up on race day, I, I think if we're talking about performance, I would say depending on when you get in uh, whether it be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think most people are getting in on Saturday for a Boston marathon. Some people, if unless they, um, you know, they're traveling overseas, they might get in on Friday just to, to combat some of that, um, uh, time zone issue. Uh, but I would say it d- choose one or two activities on, uh, on either day that you're there that be- uh, leading into Boston, choose one or two activities that you want to do, uh, if you're racing, but so that you could also experience the joy of the Boston marathon event, Um, and, and just stick with what those one or two activities on, on the days leading up. I wouldn't be on your feet to walk around five, six miles a day, eight miles a day. It's amazing how how much that really does add up quickly. So try to cho- maybe uh, choose activities that are a little bit more localized to you, um, especially if you don't wanna be taking public transportation uh, with the times that we're in. Uh, so try to try to choose and find activities that are gonna be a little bit more centered to where you are staying so you don't have to walk around as much. Uh, It helps that the the expo is where it should be uh, at the expo center uh, and not at the docks uh, like it was in 2019 uh, or 2018, I should say. Um, But uh, I think, yeah, if you could just choose one or two activities uh, that you should, you'll probably still really enjoy that time uh, and, and not feel like you are living in a bubble.
0: Right. And we should tell everybody that, you know, the race is on Monday. It's a holiday in Massachusetts. So if you want to have, like, the the Boston experience, you want to walk around the city, all that. Obviously, like, walking around a lot post-marathon is not advisable for everybody. But people come into this with different experiences. Some people can run a marathon, run a marathon hard, and still you know kind of make their way around town um it's not a work day you're going to be able to kind of do your thing um and you know there's there's going to be basically the marathon is 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 the thing in town so you'll everything will be open for you everything downtown um will be will be at your disposal and you know let's just dive into the race morning because well this let's, is something
1: let's, that let's let's back it up one more it's it's two holidays in a row we have easter sunday for those who celebrate that Um, so that's going to be a little bit chaos.
0: And then it's
1: Patriot's day.
0: That's a great point. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I, 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 it's not that I missed it, but I wasn't thinking about bringing it up in this episode. That's exactly, that's exactly right. That's a great point. Um, and that's also like, Hey, let's be real. Like that's, you know, for people who, who, for, for people who practice and who really take, um, the Christian religion seriously—that's a a huge holiday for them. So that's also, you know, a, a um from an emotional and mental perspective, you know that that's going to take up um you know a lot of your energy, and it should right. If you're if you're if 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 you if that's your jam, then that's you know th- there doesn't be there isn't a holiday bigger than that. So I think that we have to also have to make sure that you you plan accordingly. With that in mind, if you're someone say, like, hey, I want to make sure I go to mass that day, I want to, you know, think about my day with that in mind, so on and so forth. And make sure you plan your weekend as, like, that's going to be a mental and emotional um, energy expenditure as well. I was actually
1: more thinking about restaurant availability.
0: There you go. <laughs> we can go along the lighter side.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was thinking more about, like, plan ahead and make reservations because you might not be able to get in normally where you would because it's, it's a very big day for, um, for restaurant, uh, availability.
0: Oh my God. James was like, all right, listen, as you see Hershey kisses along the sidewalk, they're not for you. It's for the people who are having Easter egg contests. Please right. leave them alone.
1: It's <laughs> not part don't of the pick race. pick up the eggs on the sidewalk. No, yeah. Don't
0: <laughs> leave them alone. If you're looking for deviled eggs, bring your own. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about race morning because we talked earlier, when you leave, when the race starts for you, it could potentially impact the weather that you feel. So race morning, let's just talk about like how people are getting to Athletes Village before we had the rolling start. Prior to that, it was a more formalized start. Let me just give you the race, not the race, yeah, the the race times and when they're going to be heading off. Okay. So the start times we have men's wheelchair, 9.02 a.m. This is all Eastern Standard Time. With Boston being in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. Women's wheelchair 905. So three minutes later. Then at 9:30, we got hand cycles and duos. 937 professional men, 945 professional women, 950 para athletic division. And then at 10 o'clock, we start the waves. So four waves in total. It'll be going off every 25 minutes. So 10 o'clock, wave one, 10:25, wave two, 1050. Wave three, 1115, wave four, which really gets to the heart of it because people in wave one traditionally, and this is, there's no perfect metric for this, but generally speaking are going to be running faster than wave two, wave two, then the wave three, wave three, than wave four, which means if you're in wave four, you're basically going to be running through potentially the heat of the day. Whereas if you're wave one, you may be finishing up before noon. No, no, before noon. That's a two-hour marathon. Before but, 1, o'clock. But, yeah,
1: but one o'clock, yeah, but twelve thirty, one o'clock, one fifteen.
0: Yeah, so so also you'll have you'll have that experience. So these are these are the wave times when you start, um, and then we'll we'll go from there. So let's just talk about getting to Athletes Village. I know they have buses. There's parking. There's a lot of different things. When you're preparing your athletes for Athlete Village. What are you telling them to dress in as they're getting there, the stuff they should bring to Athletes Village, and then just that whole experience knowing that, um, again, this is, there's only so much detail we can give here because we don't know the forecast. But what are just some, some best practices for that experience?
1: So generally what I've done with Boston and what I found to be successful is giving my athletes, my personal athletes, a guide about a week to uh, seven to ten days ahead of time. Hey. This is what you should be prepared for if it is going to be really cold, if it is going to be a moderate day, and if it's going to be a really, really hot day. If it's going to be really cold, uh, you want to be prepared with uh, all the warm clothing that makes sense for you. Uh, cold and wet, you want to make sure that you have extra socks, maybe two, two extra pairs. You might want to bring an extra pair of, of, of training shoes that you're going to be walking around in, and then you just leave them there. Uh, because all that stuff is going to get picked up and donated. So then you can put on a a, uh, a dry pair of your racing shoes or whatever uh, shoes you're going to be wearing for the race itself. Um, you want to make sure that you are as comfortable as you can for the known weather. So having a plan of, uh, of attack ahead of time so you don't feel like you're scrambling, right? We know that anything could happen with the weather. Even four days out, anything could change in New England. So be prepared and bring with you a cold uh, weather uh, kit, a moderate weather kit, and a, a really warm weather kit, uh, and any anything inside of that, including with precipitation as well. Um, I would uh, consider um, what you're having for breakfast that morning and, and, and following the guidelines of what you can and can't bring onto the bus. Uh, from what I remember, uh, because it is not in front of me at this moment, but you're really only allowed to bring one clear bag uh, that they give you, right? So anything that you're going to bring with you into Athletes Village has to fit into that bag or you are wearing it, right? So all your food, all your excess stuff, you want to make sure you know exactly what it is you're going to be wearing that that day, on uh, that morning, on top of food, right? These athletes are getting on the bus. Some of them are getting on the bus at like 5.45 or 6 o'clock or 6.30. Uh, some of these 11.15ers might be getting on the bus at like 7 or 7.30, uh, depending on the schedule, right? So inside of all of that, you you woke up, you had your breakfast, don't forget to bring food with you because you're going to be waiting around another three or four hours. So you should probably have another three or four or 500 calories before the race goes off. It, you shouldn't be eating breakfast And we're breakfast not talking five,
0: about gels here. We're not, no, talking, we're not about talking about, about gels. gels. We're talking about real food.
1: Yeah, real food. Yeah, a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat, and a, a, probably a, a fair amount of carbs.
0: Right, I know a lot of people go with like, if, if for no other reason that it's just so easy to transport, a lot of people will go like bagels and cream cheese. Yeah. I right? think it's just like, all right, checked all the boxes. I can put it in here, get a little tinfoil going, and then I just put it in my bag and I'm ready to go.
1: Yeah. Whatever whatever makes the most sense for you, whatever you know that you can tolerate, just make sure you have not just enough for yourself. Have more than enough. So Because I promise you somebody is going to be next to you that didn't have enough, and you can actually save their race for them. Right. So have more than enough, have more than you think you need, uh, because you're never going to regret having more than you should have when it comes to 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 food. You might regret eating too much. Uh, so don't do that. But um, you just don't want to you want to make sure that you are not um, going in on an empty stomach. If you're standing at the start line of that race with a with a growling stomach, it's going to be a rough one.
0: And the same goes for hydration. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not just food. And I know what's worked for me and things that I tell my athletes all the time is, you know, especially before a big workout or a long run is, you know, an hour or so before. Again, everyone's GI system is is different. So take this with a grain of salt. But I think generally speaking, having, you know, whether it's a Gatorade or something along the lines of like a, you know, a substance that has some sugar in it, has some electrolytes in it with water. You know, forty-five minutes to an hour before the race is usually, I think, for me, has always been a best practice. I think it's you know, generally speaking, is a best practice. So bringing again, something along those lines, whether it's for you a noon uh, or it's a Gatorade or what have you, I think having that at your disposal uh, just to make sure that your your energy level is good, also your you know your blood sugar level is good, that you're you're ready to go when race day starts.
1: Yeah, I think. That one of the biggest mistakes that um, that new new marathoners make, or um, or it's just been a while since you've run a marathon, is is erring on the side of too light when it comes to food. You know, even the days leading up, um, you know, it's it's not so much about the pasta you have the night before; it's about what all your in your entire uh, three or four days leading up to this race. So you want to make sure that you know you probably don't want to have some fibrous foods. Harvey Nelson, Coach Harvey Nelson, finished 18th in Boston in 2021, um, but he—I'm uh, pretty sure—he had a, a, a salad, <laughs> uh, 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 a pretty big salad, the, the day before, maybe the na- two nights before, and that just kind of went through him. Ian Carter, um, he he had a big salad for lunch or for dinner the night before his Indianapolis Monumental Marathon, and he had to stop as well. Uh, it didn't ruin the race, but they had to stop and use the bathroom for about a minute, minute and a half each. Um, and, you know, they, they would have run a, a few a few minutes faster had they not had felt like that.
0: I love it. I love the went when when with the real names there on the, oh, yeah. the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pulling Come no on, punches man. here in the Rambling Runner podcast. Absolutely so no, not. no Michael Scott dietary tips
1: Alfredo before
0: the race. No Fettuccine Alfredo before the race. Don't do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, one of my favorite meals before a big uh, before a big race, half marathon, marathon, I love like chicken lo mein. You know, I love that salty type of food. I know it's safe for me, um, and I generally don't have any stomach issues off of that. I might have a bigger lunch um, before a marathon that starts at 7 a.m. But since this marathon starts 10, 10:30, uh, 11, 11:15, uh, and and athletes going to be out there uh, in the afternoon. I'd say you're probably okay having a a, a good sized dinner.
0: Yeah, I was actually talking to one of my new athletes who who came on board this week. So I got four runners who can be running Boston um, this year, and we were talking about like he he needs extra salt. All right, we we talked about that as part of the process, and you know he's you know with his with different cramping issues, and we kind of walked through like all right, sweat rate, and you know when you finish a run, is there just salt everywhere? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, well, that's can. again. I'm not a scientist. I haven't given you a salt test, but that's usually a pretty good sign if you combine that with the fact that you're cramping at the end of some of your long runs. Maybe salt is an issue. Salt intake, the 24 to 36 hours ahead of time. Um, again, just extra salt and like the kinds of food choices that you're making. Um, in addition to race day nutrition, I think is important. It's not just like, it's not necessarily like glucose where, like, hey, if I take my gels every 45 minutes, I'm going to be okay. This stuff gets stored up a little bit ahead of time. So make sure that you're, you're on top of that if that's potentially issue for you.
1: That was an issue for Harvey uh, over the summer. We found that he was losing about six pounds, uh, five and a half to six pounds an hour of sweat. And it's not just water that you're losing. You're losing salt. You're losing uh, electrolyte. You're losing a lot of things. Um, and so we we found a way to manage that and we, uh, through trial and error and through uh, a few substances. One from First Endurance is called EFS Pro. Uh, and it's a great way to kind of preload uh, those electrolytes. But there's other pro, other options out there as well. Um, and it's, uh, you know, take one or two or three scoops uh, the day before a, a race. Uh, for Harvey, he needed to do it the morning of versus the day before because he didn't sleep well with it. Um, but it worked really well. It, 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 was a, it was a game changer for him because his body was losing so much. This was kind of overloading his system ahead of time. Because once you've lost it, it is gone. You're not putting it back in your system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I know like there's a lot of substances out there. You can get Element, you can get Noon has electrolytes in it as well. Um, even UCAN provides like you can get like their their um, I forget what exactly what they call it. You can hydrate. Yeah, hydrate, that's what it is. So it basically looks like a little hockey puck. You get the, the mini, the smallest little scooper you've ever seen in your life. You add it to your UCAN and it helps. Um it actually, actually, even if you don't have a salt problem, I'd recommend it because it actually makes the UCAN taste better, which it can be tough to drink, but you can. Elect- the, the The hydrate does help it a little bit. Um, so the, there's a lot of different things that you can throw in there as well as. Hey, if you have the sports drinks, the Gatorades and stuff like that, there's a reason why those are popular. It's not just sugar water; the electrolytes are in there as well. Um, so if you see that on course, this is why it's also valuable to not just drink water on the course. The, and when it comes to the salt, and we're kind of like we're now we're bridging into race day nutrition, but. You know, when it comes to the sugar, the salt and the hydration, there is an interplay there. It's not like, hey, the sugar has to be in solid form and the hydration has to be in liquid form. There's an interplay there and whatever works for you can work out what can work well. So, it, you know, I think for so for some folks, as long as they're getting the the stuff that they need, it can be in a variety of different compounds um, in terms of just you know, how it's getting delivered into the system.
1: Yeah, there's no magic bullet everyone's body is going to respond a little differently to some products versus others. So I hate the question, what do you recommend? Whatever you can tolerate and you you will
0: not skip. The most that you you can tolerate. That's what I recommend. The most you can tolerate, right, that you've tried before, right? So it's like, all right, more is better as long as you've tried that amount.
1: I, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but they should at this point. Uh, Martin Martin is mm-hmm. the uh, the gel of, of choice on course. Uh, so this is important too, because when you're running a marathon and there are, a course is providing nutrition for you, they're going to be doing it in very specific mile markers. Uh, maybe the first gel is at mile seven or 10, and then the next one's at 15, and then the next one's at 20, and then 24. That's great and all, but depending on how fast you are, it's going to take you a lot longer or a lot less time uh, uh, to get to that next station. So uh, we absolutely recommend carrying, uh, if if that's the gel that you're going to be using, carrying an extra two or three on you so that you're not waiting 50 or 60 or 70 minutes to get to that first station that you take uh, about a hundred calories every 30 minutes or so.
0: Right. And, you know, for Morton, it's, very highly regarded. A lot of top pros use it. And for good reason, with that said, it's also really expensive. So a lot of people haven't tried Morton and they've said, hey, it's it's the price tag. And they might be like, hey, it's at Boston Marathon. I'm going to have it at Boston. I would advise against it. If you haven't tried a gel before race day, don't have it on race day. With the caveat being, if you're really struggling and you run out of gels, then grab a whole bunch. But besides that, don't plan on having a new race gel on race day, okay? Provide yourself with sub- with, with substances you've already used and you feel good about uh, as opposed to trying something new. Like I ran CIM in December. They were a goo-sponsored event, which was great for me. I used goo in my training. So they had a goo every, I think it was every either four and a half or five and a half miles. Again, that's roughly when I planned on taking it. With that said, I brought four of my own just in case. Right. So like there's on course I knew and they were were there for me. That was great. But just in case I needed them, I still had four in my pockets and I was ready to roll. And ultimately for me, that worked out well. And I was on course longer than I expected to be. And I was still fine. I didn't need more than I came with. And I wasn't in a situation where blood sugar was an issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Safe. Safe. Right. Uh, And I think that's key. I I would say no, there's still time. There's still time to to go to a local run shop and uh, and order yourself something. You can go to the feed. You can go to Morton itself, and you can get you can grab yourself a few gels, um, uh, just to try, just to try. That way, you know what it's going to feel like because it is a different consistency. If you've never used a Morton gel before, uh, it, it kind of it has a consistency of mucus. I mean, I don't know mm. as, as disgusting as that might sound, it kinda, <laughs> this 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 podcast is sponsored
0: by Morton. Drink it in, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it just does. It, it just kind of feels like that. So you
1: want to know what it's supposed to feel like. You want to. You don't want to be shocked.
0: Absolutely. All right. So let's get into the course. Just for people, also, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up from a weather perspective. Like, right. so the next ten days in New England, it's going to be there's gonna be plenty of rain. The temperatures are pretty consistent. But with that said, two days ago. I was on a run. It was 20 degrees and it was 18 mile an hour winds. Tomorrow on my run, it's going to be 60. Wow. So two wildly different days. So the other day was my workout and tomorrow's my long run. I'm going to have two very different weather experiences. Um, looks like the rest of the way is going to be pretty similar Pretty similar weather for the next 10 days. But again, this is just a good example of like, you never know, man, where you fall in that, that time frame. All right. So the race course itself, we were joking before we came on that this race course, if you just hop on the elevation chart, you're on the Boston Marathon website. All right, let's take a look at this famous course you're expecting to see. It's just, you know, the devil's work at play from a race course perspective, because you've heard all about it. If you've never run the race before and you look at it and you go, huh, what's the big deal? This looks like not that big of a deal. Look at this. Look at this huge downhill in the beginning. Got some hills, you know, the two thirds mark, but they don't even look that big. And then downhill at the end, right? If you have some trail running friends, they'd be looking at this and be like, hey, this looks fantastic. This looks like Easier than my daily run. What's the big deal? Right. So let's just, you know, I want to lay that as the groundwork for you may have looked at this. If you've never in Boston and said, I don't get it. I don't. The the myth is bigger than the reality. I don't get it. So we'll talk about that later. But I just want to set the groundwork for we understand that that may be your inclination. At first glance. However, let's take a look at the first four miles. Because I think that's a key differentiator for a lot of people who, even if you've run this race before, it is an important factor in planning your race. Because really, from four to fifteen, it's a little rolling. It's not flat. It's rolling. So you'd want to take note of it. But really, from four to fifteen, it's just going to be okay. This is marathon pace level. Yeah, within a a
1: few adjustments.
0: Right. But the first four, we're talking about marathon effort or just, hey, take off the uh, emergency brake. So how do you talk to people about the first four miles, considering that they go from 528 elevation gain to 200 feet of elevation gain? So it's a huge drop. Yeah, they're losing in the inside of that 300 plus foot drop inside of those first four miles or so.
1: There's still elevation gain, so it's not all downhill. There is some rolling, but the vast majority is downhill. It's a screaming downhill. You get to the start line, and then all of
0: a sudden, it's like, whoo. Especially the first half mile. First half mile. See you later. Yeah, it's it's huge. So, actually, my wife,
1: Heather, uh, and I were talking about this about six, seven months ago. It can be a bit of a, a central nervous system shock. Uh, if you're not used to running downhill and you go too fast, that can shock not just your muscles, but it can also shock your central nervous system. And that can cause this feeling of dead-legged as well. Um, So my advice is to let yourself hold back a bit. You don't want to be walking down the hill. You can probably be 10 seconds slower at marathon pace uh you don't you don't need to be 20 seconds 30 seconds ahead of your goal marathon pace just because it's downhill right you don't need to bank time like crazy you don't want to bank time like crazy in the first four miles just because mile 8 to 12 is kind of rolling uphill right You don't want to be shocking your central nervous system. You don't want to be shocking your muscles. And you don't want to be shocking your body into using fat as fuel because you're running too fast, all right? So I would say my advice and what I've often told my athletes is give yourself this window of pace per mile and stay inside of it. Give yourself speed limits. When Coach Esther ran this race, which is her lifetime PR, and I'm not looking at it right now, but... if I have to remember um, the time of two thirty three fifteen, and I believe that was in two thousand and fourteen, um, her first ten k, I think, was her slowest ten k of this
0: race. Right. So that's the, first of all, it takes a lot of discipline. Okay. Also, it may not be advisable for every person's stride. Right. There are certain people who who just if they run, you know, with the parking brake on, so to speak, on some of these downhill sections, that that might actually be worse for them because it's going to be more jarring. And while while their their pace is going to be relaxed, and all of a sudden their heart rate is going to be fine, and things like that. But the the, the pounding may be in a maybe to a point that it's actually doing more harm than good. So for certain people, you really have to thread that needle of okay, you want to kind of you know let you know lean forward, drop your hands, let gravity do its work, but you're not tapping the gas either during that during that uh, that time frame.
1: Yeah. When you're running downhill for an extended period of time, you're not going to have a really high heart rate, but you can still go way too fast. So you really can't use heart rate as your guide in the first five, six miles of this race because you're going downhill. So your heart rate might not get above 150 or 155, but you are way too fast um, comparative to where you, where you probably should be. And that's relatively different for every level of athlete. It's not the same thing for a two and a half hour marathon or a three, it's a three and a half as a four and a half hour marathon or, or, or into the five and six range. Everybody is, is going to be a little bit different. Uh, but you know, know how you run and know what makes the most sense for you and recognize it now and, and, and remind yourself of what it is you're trying to accomplish those first four or five, six miles. So that when you get there, you can have confidence in the decisions that you're making.
0: Absolutely. All right. So is there anything that you want to highlight? You know, there, there is a hill at mile four, right? Yeah. And there's another hill at mile 11. Yeah. So do, is there anything you want to highlight between four and 15 and a half? Sure. Yeah. There, there, not every mile is going to
1: be equal. Not every mile is going to be equal. Uh, if you're trying to run this race to maximum capacity and you are trying to run the same pace per mile for every single mile, it's not happening, right? Not happening. So give yourself a little bit of grace that when you are going uphill, you're going to slow down a little bit. You don't need to push, right? It's okay if you're 5, 6, 10, 12 seconds a mile slower uh, on any given mile or even two miles in a row Uh, from say eight to 11 or or nine, uh, eight and a half to 11 or so, that's okay. You're going to make up time later when you start going from say 11 to the top of 11 towards uh, maybe 14 or so, 14 into 15 and a half, right before the Newton Hills start, you're going to make up time there. So it's okay if you're off pace a little bit. So you don't want to feel in the first 13 miles that it's hard. It shouldn't feel hard. If you are hands on knees, if you are breathing through your neck <laughs> because you're you're working that hard, remember you still have halfway to go or more. You don't want to be working that hard through that section.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So talked you you brought up Newton Hills, got heartbreak hill, right? All that starts almost exactly at mile 16. Um, with that said, we can't talk about how that starts until we talk about the downhill that precedes it. OK, we're going to talk about before the Newton Hills. Basically, the downhill that precedes it at roughly mile 15 and a half is going to be very similar to the start of the race. It's a little bit shorter, but the slope is very similar. So that it really softens you up for the rollers yeah. to come. I mean, right, because there's a couple things happening here. Sorry, So you're you're diving down on a significant downhill. Before you're about to start doing these these rolling climbs over an extended period of time, we're talking over a half an hour, forty five minutes for a lot of people. Okay, so it really it basically you're going through a meat tenderizer before you get into it. So understand that fact. Understand when you're going down that decline. Hey, what's coming up when I hit the bottom of this hill? and approach it accordingly, just like in the beginning of the race, okay? It's not time to see, hey, can this be my fastest split yet? I'm feeling great. Let's air it out, so on and so forth, okay? You have to understand what's coming next, okay? This is also the time, depending on your speed, where all of a sudden your glycogen stores can start to come down into perilously low levels, okay? We're talking about mile 16. For a lot of people, this could be around the two-hour mark. And for those folks, that is where, if they're not, you know, doing the right things from a nutrition perspective, where the blood sugar can start getting low and all of a sudden you're going to, you know, feel worse than maybe your fitness would let on because you just haven't fueled properly. And now you're in a really, really tricky situation if all of those things kind of converge.
1: Yeah. So one of my athletes, uh, is competing for, I don't want to say the win, uh, but I wouldn't throw it out there uh, as impossible because we've seen some crazy things happen, but he's run two Oh nine and he's a really good runner. Uh, and he, we've, we've done in training, we've done some long steady sessions where he ran marathon pace for 18 and a half miles, 30 K and he was fine. Uh, and then the week after this past week, we ran uh, 11 miles, but the first five K of that he went way too fast. Oh no, I shouldn't say way too fast. He went much faster than marathon pace on purpose, and then he settled back into marathon pace. So we can understand how the race might be, uh, how that that the front pack might actually run. And what we found was, uh, for him especially, if he if he just goes above that line just even a little bit, he's not going to be able to take his nutrition. So we're talking about glycogen stores for these these athletes at mile sixteen. If you are not taking your nutrition. Uh, uh, along the way and you get to the Newton Hills under fueled and you are trying to perform, man, like you might have felt great for the first hour and 45, but it's going to be a story of I felt so great but then and that but then is hell and you don't want to be living in hell for the next 10, 11 miles
0: Right, and then you're not going to be able to take advantage of the downhill finish either (laughs) if you're going through that experience Yeah, it's not happening. So making
1: sure that you've taken your nutrition, so much about marathoning is fueling. So much about uh, elite and and, and performance-based marathoning is proper fueling and knowing your body and what makes sense for you. Um, So what what I've told my athletes from from the 210 range to really the the kind of the 340 range in this section is you have to view – Uh, Give yourself a little bit of a speed limit going down that mile 15, 15 and a half, 16, and then view the Newton Hills as hill repeats. But it's not exactly up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's up, and then it's kind of fluttering down because there's still a little bit of uphills uh, on the way down. And then it's up again, and then it's fluttering down. So you might go up for four, five, six minutes on the first one, depending on how fast you are. And then you get a little bit of reprieve for the next four minutes or so. Then you have to go up again for maybe two and a half minutes. Depending on your speed, some of these uphills might be seven, eight, nine minutes long, depending on the pace you that you're running. Right. The first one's about a mile. Yeah, just you're just a hair short. I think it's point eight. Um, so yeah, for, for some people, uh, you know, in that nine, ten-minute range, you're gonna be running uphill for quite a bit. Right. So you I would say you know give yourself some grace there you know you might be running 30 seconds a mile slower uh, up some of these hills that's okay that's fine you'll make it up later you get some downhill later it's not going to ruin your race but it will if you're trying to run if you're an, a 3:30 marathoner and you're trying to run 8 minute pace uphill for a mile <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're at the end of your marathon, don't
0: do it because you're going to be a 5 hour like marathoner it. if you do that. Yeah,
1: it's, yeah. it's going to feel like 7:15 or 7:20. That's going to feel really really hard, and that's going to throw you over the top and it's going to make digesting nutrition really hard. And in which case you're going to have a, it, it's going to be a, this this cyclical. You fact. can't
0: take a gel if you're anaerobic. You just can't. No, you can't, you can't take a gel and you can't drink if you're anaerobic because your yeah. body's already struggling to breathe, never mind taking anything else down your gullet. Yep. And let's talk about the hills. Let's talk about hills for a second because, and this is an important thing too, because for a lot of people who are doing their marathon training and they're doing hill repeats as well, when you incorporate the two, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is that when you are going uphill, your heart rate is not going to go down while you're still on the uphill, okay? So you don't want to start charging up the uphill in the beginning or like like, this is Rock. I this is Rocky 7. I'm I'm going to be an inspiration and a hero today. You will be a hero if you play it saved in this area. Where once you start going uphill, if your heart rate gets too high, it's not going to come down during the uphill. So you have to prepare for that. And you can't just have it getting into the one, you know, 178, 181, 182. Again, I don't expect you to be looking at your watch the whole time either, but just feeling that feeling in the other effects of all of a sudden your breath rate's getting really high, all of that stuff, it's not going to come down unless you're walking, if you're going uphill. So don't go hard in the beginning of these hills. You need to prepare yourself short, choppy steps, i say choppy, short, quick steps up the hill, prepare for the, the the long way that you're going to go. And then also, basically, if you do that, then you can maybe treat the fluttering downhill instead of as a reprieve. View it as, and with an optimistic view, like all right, this is great. I'm happy now. Let's let's get back into it. As opposed to viewing it as like all right, I'm, ba- I'm I just got through hell and now I'm in purgatory, waiting for another visit to hell again. Hopefully, yeah. it can be a little bit more optimistic as you're going through these.
1: Yeah, I um I was talking to Pardon last year, uh, uh, leading into his Boston Marathon. Coach Pardon and Glovu, and uh, when he ran Boston in 2016 or maybe 2017. He um, he was running with a, with a, with a uh, another athlete from his native country of Zimbabwe, and that athlete was significantly faster. So when Pardon found himself shoulder to shoulder with him, he would race him up the hills because man, this guy's that much faster. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep up with him. That that athlete wasn't working that hard at all, and when they got to the to the top of the hill, he would just kind of float down the downhill, and Pardon would be like, I need recovery now. And then it would get to the next hill where Pardon would just race up to get to him, shoulder to shoulder, and then he'd have to take this massive recovery. And uh, and for for the other athlete, he ended up beating Pardon by like seven or eight minutes, be, when, when it was all said and done, because he didn't spend himself on the hills; he just managed his effort appropriately, so that he could then race the final the the, the back end.
0: Which basically means he put a mile, a minute per mile on him in the last 10 miles. Yeah. Which is an astounding amount for people who view themselves as roughly equal caliber. Um, yeah. And we should also say, you know, this is going to be, again, this is not going to be easy for anybody, right? That's not the point. This is not why you run marathons. That's not why you're going to Boston. But with that said, as you're going through this, this is a, this is not a solo endeavor. Okay, your running experience certainly is individualistic in mind. This is not a team sport necessarily, but you are not there alone. And there is a million studies out there showing the positive benefits of doing athletic endeavors, not just running in groups and working together and having that positive experience. The crowd will be there. And that is important. And they can be motivating and inspiring and create a a huge amount of energy for you and and, and soak that in for what it's worth. But also, you're going to be shoulder to shoulder with people who are going through this experience with you. Work with them. Okay? Project. If you need help, tell Say something positive to the person next to you, right? There's plenty of runners out there who know and who've experienced this. If you smile, it will change you physio- physiologically. The same thing goes if you say good things to other people. Okay, someone passes you, hey man, you look great, right? You, someone else passes you on the on the other side. You you see a lady pass you on the right, great, you're doing great, keep it up, right? So no matter what's happening, or you pass somebody, right? Hey, you got this, you got this. All the positive feelings in the world, keep that going because this is not. You do not have to treat this as a solo endeavor, okay? It's one thing from like four to 14. When you're just cruising, no big deal, right? You can have your music going, whatever. And maybe that's your jam. But again, if you're struggling, you don't have to struggle in silence, okay? Bring your voice to it. It will help you. It certainly won't hurt you.
1: That's a really interesting point because the last few years – We've been so so low. I know running is
0: coming back, and the, this past
1: fall we've had more, and now we're actually in racing season. We just had one of the biggest race weekends we've ever had, um, but you know, for for marathons, not a lot of people have been running marathons the last few years, so it's an important reminder that you, yeah, you don't need to suffer alone, and and there is an, there is empowerment and uh, acknowledgement of, of of where you're at, and, and acknowledging where others are at in the moment too. Um, you know, you can you, you you might have a bad patch uh, in, inside the hills. You might get a cramp, but sometimes cramps work themselves out. Uh, you can squeeze them. You can, you know, you can, you can t- take a little bit of reprieve as you need, but you you might be able to work those out and feel that much better. I know for Harvey, uh, when he was, when he actually needed to stop to use the bathroom it was right after the half marathon. It was right around mile 14 or so. He's uh, maybe 15, um, He leading into that, he felt terrible. Like his stomach was in knots and all this kind of stuff. And he had to stop and use the bathroom. And then 90 seconds later or so, um, he ended up – he was running the fastest he had been running in the entire race at the end. Like he was catching people. I think he was in like 30th uh, at that point uh, in 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 a pretty small field. And he ended up finishing 18th. He was just passing people left and right over the final eight miles, nine miles.
0: That's great. You know, the book "How Bad You Want It" by Matt Fitzgerald is a great testament to this. Uh, Endure is also a, a fantastic book. You know, the preface to that, Alex Hutchinson talks about he's doing an indoor mile up in Canada. I think he was in college at the time. He had like completely plateaued. He never thought he was going to get better, and then the timer for the first laps was an indoor indoor race, right? So he's running the two hundred meters, uh, two hundred meter track indoors, and he comes through. What he expected to hear was, you know, this normal, like, 29 or 30 or 31. All of a sudden, hears 26. He's like, oh, and I feel great. All of a sudden, he just starts bringing it. And it was a, it was a mental shift. Nothing was different physically. He Literally, it, nothing was different physically. It was a mental shift. Well, I'm capable of doing this. He breaks his PR by six seconds in the mile which is insane for a guy who'd been running really well for a number of years, and it wasn't a fluke. That was all of a sudden where he was at. So the races after that, he kept getting better and better and better. This is just a really trite example of when you are suffering in a marathon, sometimes it absolutely is physical, but it is also mental and emotional. And this is where there are some things we can take from our friends who run five Ks and things like that, and there's other things we can take from our friends who run ultra marathons. I think a couple of them is nutrition and the joint effort that comes with working with our with our you know peers on the course, or in their case, at aid stations. Right? There is a mental component to this that cannot be undersold.
1: Yeah, we uh, well we hosted a few marathons in the spring uh, a year ago uh, of 2021. Uh, some of the coaches had the, uh, some of the race directors, coaches, uh, had the volunteers write the names of all the athletes and the bib numbers. So as they were coming by, um, they would shout their name and it was like, it, that was a really cool experience. So maybe you even write your name on your bib, if it's not on there, right. Or write it across your shirt. Um, so people can say your name. So you feel that empowered, uh, through some of the harder moments, um, I think that would be a really cool thing to do, especially through the Newton Hills. Um, you know, everyone's feeling good through the first half marathon, but when things really start to get tough and your that heart rate is high and you feel like you want to just stop, you know, you know, you obviously you have to remember internally, but just hearing your name out there, is, it's, it's, it might, might actually help quite a bit.
0: Right. And then the last five miles is a huge net downhill with most of it coming in the first, you know, mile or two in that experience. I just want to say, you know, it's not, that sounds easy. It's not going to be easy. Let's not, it's the last 10 K of a marathon. Okay. There's yeah, going to be, so it's
1: not, it's not all downhill. Like there no. is, there is uphill. It's just, they're, they're pretty short. It's that they're going to feel really short comparative to what it is. You just ran. It's just a net downhill. Um, you know, you can get moving. If you've done the Newton Hills rights or appropriately, those last four or five, six miles can be, you can cruise, you can fly. Right. But, you know, you still got to take your nutrition. You still got to take your water. You still got to do all those things. But that piece of the marathon, if, if you've managed your effort well and you can
0: you can crush. For sure. And it's important to remember, like we're talking about a 10K here for a lot of people. This is going to be roughly 45 minutes to an hour during that span. You need to make sure you keep taking your nutrition here. OK, we cannot stress this enough. OK, just because you finished Heartbreak Hill, here we go. Last ten k, go to the finish line. Well, Heartbreak to,
1: is actually. I think Heartbreak is right. The start of the, the final ten k.
0: Right. So it's at. Let's see here. I think it's, it's at like right around twenty. Twenty-one. You finish it. Finishes at twenty-one.
1: Yeah. So you finished. So the the base of Heartbreak is, is 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 essentially right or right before it
0: anyway. Right. Um, thank, thank you. Yes. So the last, I was saying the last five miles. I get so I get so excited for like the last saying the last ten cave. Right. Marathon. Right. So it's the <laughs> last the last five miles. Yeah. But um, you need to keep taking your nutrition. Okay. You need to do it, and you know if, if, if for no other reason, there's been studies after study after study that show even someone who swishes Gatorade in their mouth and spits it out receives a performance enhancement from that experience. So literally. Most of this is physical when it comes to nutrition, but some of it's mental too. Just, the, just yeah. the act of doing that does provide a stimulus. So you need to, first of all, you need to keep taking it because you're not done yet. You got five miles to go, okay? Secondly, it's going to help you run better as long as you can stomach the nutrition. And lastly, if for no other reason, it will probably help you recover the next day if you don't finish completely gassed at the end of the day. And you, Lord knows you don't want to be cramping up at the finish line either.
1: Yeah, yeah. Never. Never fun. Uh, but once you cross that finish line, man, like just getting it—I I don't care what marathon you're running, just crossing that line uh, and getting that medal, man. What a, what a, it's a, it, I I've had a lot of really bad marathons, but when I cross the line, I felt so proud of myself, even though I know it wasn't what I wanted out of it. I felt so proud of myself for just getting it done and not giving up on myself. Not because, you know, if, you know, if I had a broken leg, of course I would have stopped or whatever, but, you know, just knowing that I, I managed whatever discomfort I was in and I was, you know, lucky enough or, or able enough to be able to finish. Yeah. It was, uh, it's always a special moment.
0: That's a great point. And I think this is a key thing for a lot of people because you have that finish line feeling. If one of the best finish lines in America, the Boston finish line, that's why you're there at the race. It's an unbelievable experience. Don't. Let that experience become clouded after the fact by the metrics of the race. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you finish that race, this is what we always tell my daughter does this on occasion. I'll say like, say like I, let's say I like a, a food, right? I eat it. I'm expressing like pleasure, like, oh, this tastes great or whatever. And she'll look at it and be like, oh, that's gross. Right? Like that's what your watch might do to you at the finish line. You might have this great experience, but we call it yucking someone's yum. Like the watch (laughs) might yuck your yum and don't let it do that because you might have this great experience and don't let your finishing time, your watch, or some weird person on the side saying something that you overheard incorrectly ruin that experience for you. Okay. Don't second guess your experience by metrics. Okay. You lived it. You don't need to second guess it. So just have the finish line experience that you earned and deserve, and don't let the watch tell you anything differently.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big thing. You know, Boston is its own animal. It's it's not like if if anyone's ever run, you know, Chicago, um, uh, London, Tokyo. It's uh, it's its own beast. Um, you know, a lot of athletes are, are running really, really fast marathons to get into this race. Um, you know, it's certainly it's a, it's a little bit harder to qualify for Boston in New York City than it is to qualify in, say, Indianapolis. There's no easy marathon, but New York it, it presents challenges that that Indianapolis doesn't. Right. Um, so but but even still, Boston, it can be a very fast course. A lot of athletes do have their lifetime personal best there, but it's also it's, it's a very humbling uh, 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 marathon course as well it's it's its own beast and it, 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 it you know you have to respect it and you have to you know there, some of the best athletes in the world we, we brought it up earlier on the show even you know even these the best athletes in US history and world history they don't always run well here and these are the most highly trained uh, specialized marathoners in the in the world. And they don't always have a good day here, right? So if they can can have a, and survive a, a bad a bad Boston, we can too. We can do. It's okay. You're not going to be defined if you didn't break three there, and that was your goal, or you didn't you didn't re bq, uh, and that was your goal. It, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're less than. It doesn't mean that uh, you're not worthy. It doesn't mean that you didn't earn the right to be there in the first place. It just means it was a it was a rough day.
0: That's all. Exactly, and everyone's gonna have. There's a lot of people are gonna have rough days there. Even the pros, even good friends of ours who are pros, have had rough days there, and that's just life. But it doesn't take away from the experience. In addition, it's not just about race day. You and I know this as well as anybody. the The, the training is is the integral part of the process here, right? As you've had great great training cycles, and you can learn from it. All that we don't have to get too sentimental here, but it's not just about race day either.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, some of my athletes, um, and one of my athletes, Kara, Kara Woody, uh, she ran Boston for the first time this, this past, uh, October, uh, in the adaptive athlete program, she's got multiple sclerosis and, and she, uh, she was able to be a part of that program. She actually missed the Boston qualifier by like seven seconds or 17 seconds. And then, uh, we, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, actually Heather, uh, my wife said, wait a minute, she's got MS. She could probably be in this program. So, we got her into this program because she's got MS, but then they changed the quad. They added the the next qualifiers and she would have qualified. But, uh, you know, she raced it as hard as she could in, in the fall. And this time around, she's just going and she's just going to run like four and a half, five hours and just have a really good time and just enjoy it and have a completely different feel of a marathon. And it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't change who she is as a person. That finish time doesn't mean that all of a sudden she's a four and a half five-hour marathon, even though she's run 3.32, it just means that she's going out there to to run and enjoy herself.
0: I love it. James, before we get going, anything you want to say?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the preparation leading in is, is important, but I think it's important to also keep grounded these next few weeks too, right? It's fun to kind of like joke and like, you know, look at the weather, but we can't control any of these things. Josh Cox, uh, a a good friend, agent of of one of my athletes, and and of course, so many uh, is the pinnacle in in this sport. Uh, He likes to remind his athletes um, that you, you can only control two things. You can control your effort and your attitude. Can't control the outcomes. You can only control those two things, your effort and your attitude. So, have a good attitude these next few weeks as you as you're leading in, uh, and 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 have a good attitude and and have a good effort. If if you're going for performance, do the best that you can. And when you cross that finish line, know that you did the best that you can. Leave no doubt about that. But don't be disappointed in the the effort that you gave. Be proud of that. You know, I think that's that's a really important reminder for any level, any athlete. Uh, but one last thing too. We are hosting a Mercury Train Shakeout. Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, th- we're going to launch it uh, tomorrow in an email. Uh, but, uh, well, not tomorrow. Today is Wednesday. So by the time this comes out, it'll, it'll have been announced. Uh, but we're going to be teaming up with Runners World. Uh, Runners World Plus I've heard, I've heard uh, coaches. I've heard of yeah. them. Yeah, you've heard of them. So uh, we've been trying to work with Runners World for since 2020. We were, we were meant to work with them. Uh, for But then it got canceled and then uh, Hearst didn't want to uh, have any in-person checkouts in 2021 uh, for obvious reasons. But now everyone's a lot more comfortable um, and safety protocols are a little bit better. Um, so we are really excited to be teaming up with Runner's World. Uh, we're going to be hosting it uh, Sunday morning at 8 a.m. We want to do it before all the, the, the church services and, and, and Easter uh, brunches and all that kind of stuff. So 8 a.m. at the Parkman Bandstand. It's where, where we generally host uh, our shakeouts in Boston in the Boston Commons, but anybody can be involved. You don't have to be a McCurdy trained athlete. You don't need to be a runner's world subscriber or a runner's world plus member. You are always welcome uh, at, at the McCurdy train shakeout. So uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be kind of giving a talk. Uh, uh, one of the runners World coaches is going to be there as well. Coach uh, Jeff Dengate is going to be there. The, the, the kind of runner in chief, so to speak, um, and then we're going to have a bunch of coaches from McCurdy train uh, there as well. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the course a bit more. We'll talk about the race day weather and how to make any adjustments that you'll need. We'll go for a run together and we'll stay to answer some personal questions. Um, we're really excited. Some to, personal uh, to questions. Back. Wow. This got yeah. spicy. Uh, well, you never know.
0: You, know? <laughs> you never know. I'm just saying. <laughs> so the park, the Parkman bandstand in Boston. Parkman Boston bandstand. It's in the Boston Commons. Yep. This is great. All right, James. Thanks again. I love having you on the pod, my man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back, and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: James, thank you for coming on the show. Always such a good time. If you were going to be in Boston, even if you are not a McCurdy-trained athlete, just like James just said, head over to the McCurdy trained to shake out. Also follow McCurdy trained on Instagram. James is always putting out some valuable content, um, for anybody who's interested in running people who are just hoping to get better. He's always providing and his wife, Heather, who's, who's also on there quite a bit on the McCurdy trained account, uh, putting out knowledge all the time, uh, as well as highlighting runners who are doing really, really cool stuff. I love following accounts like that because it just gets you so excited to see awesome people doing amazing things. And, uh, That's exactly what that account does. And it's a fantastic coaching service. I love it. Uh, And a lot of the coaches who work there have been on this show many times. And not simply because they work there. Some of them have been on the show and then later went on to work in McCurdy Trained. So ultimately, it's a great experience for everyone involved. Thank you so much for listening. And if you are running Boston, good luck and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Disrepresentation of song brewing, I'm amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.